Tonight we have one of the most fascinating presentations in the whole series in this seminar, The Unconditional Love of God. You know, the Lord Jesus had a favorite way of teaching, and that method was the use of parables. Now, parables were stories drawn from real life in his day that illustrated tremendous spiritual truth. Now, we need to understand that parables generally teach one central truth. But parables also have different actors and different action. And each actor is symbolic of something. And each action is also symbolic of something. Now, in this seminar, we're going to be studying a lot of parables of Jesus. Because the parables of Jesus illustrate many of the great spiritual truths that we find elsewhere in God's Word. Now, there are some theological words that we've all heard. For example, we speak of reconciliation. The Apostle Paul uses that word, reconciliation. Uh, We find in the Bible the word repentance. We find in the Bible the word justification. We find the word sanctification. We find the word regeneration. You know, usually these words are used in the writings of the Apostle Paul. Now this evening, we're going to study a story that doesn't use any of these theological words. However, the story contains, in principle, every single one of these theological ideas that I've mentioned just a moment ago. I'd like to invite you this evening to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, you should have your list of Bible texts so that you can follow along. And we're going to begin with verses 1 and 2 because the parable that we're going to study tonight has a special historical setting. In fact, this parable speaks about three kinds of sinners. The first kind of sinner is the unrighteous sinner. The second kind of sinner is the self-righteous sinner. And the third kind of sinner is the repentant sinner. So we're going to deal with three types of sinners in this parable of Jesus this evening. It's known as the parable of the prodigal son. Who doesn't know the parable of the prodigal son? But we're going to learn many interesting things tonight, perhaps new things that you haven't thought of before. Notice the setting of this parable in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. It says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, to hear him. You know, I find it very interesting that the greatest sinners in the days of Christ were the ones that were most attracted to Jesus. Here you have Jesus, holy, blameless, without sin, and the publicans and sinners, they just enjoyed themselves in the presence of Jesus. Ironically, the Pharisees and the scribes who considered themselves to be righteous and holy, felt very uncomfortable in the presence of Jesus. And the reason is, the scribes and Pharisees had sin inside that they needed to hide, and they knew that Jesus could read them like a book. The publicans and and the sinners, on the other side, they knew that Jesus knew that they were sinners. They didn't have anything to hide, and besides, 
differently than the scribes and the Pharisees, they felt a need. And that's the reason they were attracted to Jesus, because they said, maybe this individual can help us in our need. So it says in verse 1, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Then you have on the other side, And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Basically what they're saying is that if Jesus eats with someone, he should eat with us. He should not be eating with those publicans and those sinners. If he's going to invite anybody to lunch, or he's going to accept an invitation to lunch, he should accept the invitation to our houses, and he should invite us out to lunch. Now notice a parallel passage that we find in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2 and verse 15. This is speaking about the experience of Levi Matthew, who was a tax collector. When Jesus called him, it says that Levi uh, called a party at his house, and he invited Jesus, and he invited several of his friends. Notice verse 15. Now it happened, as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together, sat together with Jesus and his disciples for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we have two groups that are spoken of in these two introductory passages that we've read this evening as we start. We have on one side the publicans and the sinners, and on the other side we have the scribes and the Pharisees. The sinners and the publicans, they feel their need. They're attracted to Jesus. The scribes and the Pharisees, they feel no need, and they feel repelled from Jesus. Now, in this context, Jesus tells this wonderful story known as the story of the prodigal son. And as I said, this story illustrates three kinds of sinners. In the first place, the unrighteous sinner. In the second place, the self-righteous sinner. And in the third place, the repentant sinner. Now let's begin our study at verse 11. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me, so he divided to them his livelihood. Now, it's going to tell us in the next verse that this son, this younger son, decided that he was not going to stay at home anymore. Notice what it says in verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now immediately we ask the question, why would this son get the preposterous idea of leaving home? There's no doubt whatsoever that this son felt restricted by the laws of the household. He wanted to be free. He wanted to be independent. 
He considered that the laws of his house, the laws of the Father, were too restrictive of his freedom. So he said, I want to be independent, I want to live my own life. Also, he thought, if I have to wait till much later to get the inheritance, then I won't enjoy it now. Instead of living for the sweet by and by, he said, I'm going to live for the here and now, because I'm not sure whether the sweet by and by is actually going to ever come. And so I better enjoy life in the present. I better enjoy life right now. So he takes the inheritance, according to the story, tired of the restrictions of the home, tired of the rules of the father, tired of being watched by his father, tired of working in the household, and he says, now I'm going to be independent of the house, I'm going to be independent of the father, I'm going to be happy, I'm going to be free. But it didn't work out that way. Notice what he continues saying in verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country. Notice he wants to be as far away from home as possible as far away from the supervision of the father as possible, as far away from the rules and regulations of the house as possible. And it says, there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, there's no doubt that at first, as long as he had the money from his inheritance, things went well in the far country where he went. No doubt he had lots of friends. In fact, the story tells us later on that he had lots of friends. That is, he had lots of so-called friends as long as he had the money. But when the money was gone, we're going to find that the friends were also gone in a moment. In other words, they were not real friends. And the irony of this story is that this son, who wanted to be free from the laws of the house, he wanted to be free from the supervision of his father, now when he goes to this far country, He throws away the inheritance, living for the present, thinking nothing of the future, and the one who wanted to be free now ends up being a slave. Now in this story, the father represents God. The home represents the household of God, the church. So in other words, this individual is saying, I'll be happier without God in my life. I'll be happier without the church in my life. I'll be happier if I just have my freedom and independence and I don't have to worry about the rules of my father and the rules and regulations and the law of the house. And he thinks he's going to be a lot happier when he's free at last and independent. But it doesn't work that way. You see, when he leaves God, when he leaves the house, like when we leave God and we leave the church, God's household on earth, we think we're going to be free, but the Bible says that we end up slaves. We end up in bondage. It says in verse 14, But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Isn't it sad that many times we have to hit rock bottom before we feel our need of God? I find it ironic that when things go well, we have a tendency to forget God. And then when we hit rock bottom and things go bad, suddenly we feel our need of God. And so this young man, he ends up without anything, no money, no friends, 
And now he says, maybe it wasn't a good idea to be independent of my father. Maybe it wasn't a good idea to leave the household, to leave home. And things get so bad, according to verse 15, that he is joined to a citizen of that land. Now let's read verse 15, and then I'm going to explain something to you about this. It says in verse 15, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Now that expression, joined himself, in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written, because we're just reading from the English, which is a translation from the Greek in which the New Testament was written, the word is used in other contexts to speak of gluing something to something else. In other words, it can be translated that this young man glued himself to a citizen of that country. Now, I believe that the citizen of that country that this individual was glued to is really a symbol of Satan. And as you read the story, it becomes clear. Because this citizen was no friend of this young man. In fact, this citizen caused this young man man, to be in bondage. He turned him into his servant or into his slave in order to survive. In other words, this was no benevolent citizen who wanted to help the young man. He actually enslaved him. In other words, when this young man left his father and left home, he had to glue himself to this citizen that enslaved him. An insult of insults. It says in the last part of verse 15 that this citizen sent him into his fields to feed swine. Now in this parable, as I mentioned, the persons and the events and the actions are symbolic. The father represents God. The house or the home represents the church. The young man who felt that he could, that if he was free from the laws of the household, he would be happier, represents many who believe that a life away from God, a life away from church, will be a happy life without having to worry about the restrictions of the Christian life. The citizen to whom this individual was joined, like glue that enslaved him and made him go work among the swine, is a symbol of the fact that we become slaves of Satan when we accept his ideas of becoming independent of the household of God. Now it's interesting that this young man ends up working among the swine. The citizen sends him to work among the swine. Now do you know, in the Bible, Satan and his demons are called unclean spirits. Did you know that? Now, in the sanctuary service, in the Old Testament, only clean animals were sacrificed. There were no unclean animals because clean animals represented Jesus Christ, who was pure and clean. In pagan rites and ceremonies, in pagan temples, they offered swine, but never in God's temple because clean animals were a symbol of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But as clean animals are a symbol of Jesus Christ, unclean animals are a symbol of Satan and his angels. In other words, this young man ended up in the realm of Satan and his angels. And you say, how do we know that? Go with me to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. Let's let scripture explain scripture. Revelation chapter 18. And let's read verses 2 and 3. It's speaking here about end time Babylon. 
but the principle is that we want to notice that demons are compared with unclean beasts. It says here in verse 2, And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a habitation of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Particularly notice verse 2. It says that Babylon the great is fallen and has become the habitation of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated what? Bird. So there you have demons represented by unclean animals. Incidentally, you probably all know the story of when Jesus cast the unclean spirits into the swine. Once again, unclean spirits are identified with swine, with unclean animals. In other words, this young man ended up in the realm of Satan and his angels. He was glued to this citizen. He became a slave wanting to be free. And then in verse 16, we find the following. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. In other words, he had to compete with his food for his food with the swine. And no one gave him anything. Now I want you to notice that up till this point, this young man is living in sin. He's hit rock bottom. He thought he was going to be free, but instead of being free, he's a slave. He thought that life without the father would be better, but it was worse. He thought that being independent of the house was good, but it turned out to be evil. Now he's a slave to this citizen. He's living among, among these unclean animals, the swine. He's eating their food. He's out of it. But now we notice in verse 17 that something happens to this young man. It says in verse 17, but when he came to himself. Do you know what that means? It means that he came to his senses. In other words, when you're in the world, you're out of it. You're not yourself. Basically, what it's saying is you're out of your mind in the sight of God. And that's the way that, it, that you read it in the, in the Greek in which the New Testament was written. It says that suddenly he came to himself. Suddenly he was himself, which means that before he was not himself because he was being controlled by someone else. He was a slave of, of Satan. He was a slave of evil. If you think that life in the world is so much better than it is in the church, that a life without God is so much better than a life with God, think again. It is never so. And so he comes to himself, verse 17, and he says, he thinks to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? And so now he prepares a speech. Let me ask you, has he repented of what he has done? Is he sorry for what he's done? Yes. Even though the word repentance is not used, the expression he came to himself means that his mind is straight now. He's sorry, he's sad for what he's done. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is sorrow for sin and a willingness to turn away from it. 
And so now he says, he prepares a speech in verse 18. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Was it a sin for him to leave home? What was the problem of this young man? Was it sin? Yes. Let me ask you, what is sin according to the Bible? 1 John 3, 4 says that sin is the transgression of the law. Now the question is, which commandments of God's law did this young, young man break? Well, I can mention at least two. Number one, there is a commandment that says, honor your father and your mother. Did he break that commandment? He most certainly did. He's selfish. He says, give me. Notice the story. Starts by him saying to his father, give me. A little bit later on, he's going to say, make me. He's changed in his life. But anyway, he's repented. And now he prepares his confession speech. He sinned. And sin is transgression of the law. Another commandment that he's broken is the commandment that says, Thou shalt not commit adultery, because his brother later on in the story complains that he's visited the harlots while he's been gone. So he's broken God's law. He's a sinner because he has dishonored his parents and because he has committed adultery, probably many other sins as well. And so he prepares his confession speech. Notice, you have his sinfulness. You have the fact that he repents, even though the word isn't used. Now he prepares his confession speech. And notice what he's going to say. Verse 18. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Let me ask you, was this young man sad for the sin he had committed or was he sad for the consequences of the sin that he had committed? Was this true repentance? Yes, because he's confessing his sin. He's not saying, oh, Dad, I'm so tired of trying to compete with the swine for food. I'm so tired of living in the pig pen. Father, I need a better life, so I'm coming home. No. He recognizes his sin. He confesses his sin. Does he not? And so it says, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Was he right? Was he worthy to be called the Father's Son? No, he was not worthy. He was worthy to be perhaps accepted as a what? As a servant, but not as a son. He was right in what he was saying. And now notice how he has changed in verse 19. He says, make me like one of your hired servants. What did he say when he left home? Give me. I want to live for the here and now. I want my inheritance now. I want to have fun now. I want to be independent now. I don't like your rules. I don't like your regulations, your law. I want to be free. But now when he comes back, having repented and confessing his sin, now he doesn't say, give me. He says, make me. Like one of your hired servants. Did he have an inadequate view of his father at this point? Did he fully comprehend his father? No. By the way, what is it that led this young man to repentance? It was the memory of his father. It was the memory of home that drew him back to the father, that drew him back home. What is it that draws us back to God? 
the, the love of God, the memory of the goodness of God. Notice what it says in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Here we have this idea of why we come back to God when we've gone astray. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to what? To repentance. Why did this young man return home? Because he says, I know my father is basically what? Good. So he's drawn by the love of the father. He's drawn by the loving environment that is at home. But he still has an inadequate view of his father because he considers that his father might make him a servant, a hired servant. Treat him well, yes, but as a servant. He doesn't have any idea what's in store. Now notice what it says in verse 20. Here we reach the climax of this wonderful story. And he arose and came to his father. And then it says that, that his father is standing there with his arms crossed, waiting for him. Hmm. Just wait till he gets here. Now what my Bible says, notice this. By the way, this is the, the Apostle Paul calls reconciliation. See, all of these ideas are in here. What the Apostle Paul does is that he defines them theologically. He kind, of, he kind of takes this story and he explains theologically what repentance is, what confession is, what reconciliation is, what justification is, what sanctification is. He just explains all of the basics that Jesus has in this story. And so it says in verse 20, And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, must his father have been waiting for him? Looking out for him? Absolutely. The Bible says his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And I want you to notice that the young man begins his speech, but he never ends it. Verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. What was the rest of the speech? Make me like what? Like one of your hired servants. But the father doesn't allow him to finish his speech. In fact, you know, it's interesting in the story, the father doesn't rebuke him. I told you so! That if you left home, that was going to happen? Now you know what it's like. Okay, son, I'm going to take you back. But remember, you're on probation. If you just step out of the way one little bit, you're not my son anymore. Did the father say, now son, you're pretty smelly from being in that pig pen. Go take a bath, and then I might receive you. No. The father received him. See, this young man was repentant. He recognized his sin. And he confessed his sin. And the Bible says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so he says, I have sinned against heaven in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And now notice what the father does. But the father said to his servants... 
bring out the best robe. Let me ask you, what does the robe represent in the Bible? Go with me to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10. Here the prophet says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with what? With the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. By the way, do you remember that when Adam and Eve sinned, they were left naked, but a sacrifice was made, and the skins of the animals were taken by God to cover the shame of their nakedness? In other words, the robe that the Father gives to His Son is the robe of His righteousness. By the way, theologically, this is called justification. Justification simply means forgiveness, pure and simple. It means accepting the Son as if He had never sinned. It means receiving Him with the arms open, giving Him full and complete pardon for everything that had taken place. And so the Father says, bring out the best robe. Not any old robe, the best robe. See, for his ta- instead of His tattered robe, stinky robe, the Father gives Him the best robe, His righteousness. And then it says, put a ring on his hand. By the way, this is just not a piece of jewelry. This is most likely the signet ring that people in authority had. You see, they had a ring, and the ring was a seal, and they used it to seal documents. It was a sign of the authority who had the ring. In other words, the father is returning to his son the authority as son. He's not accepting him as a slave. He's accepting him as a full-fledged son. And then it says, and sandals on his feet. Do you think his feet were probably torn and bleeding and tired? The father says, you know, take away those tattered clothes and give him the best robe. He says, on those hands that are all bleeding and broken from work, put on the signet ring. Those feet that are tired and bleeding, get the best sandals for his feet. And then it continues saying in verse 23, And bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let let us eat and be merry. Now I want you to notice something very interesting here. In the Old Testament sanctuary service, many animals were sacrificed. And all of those animals, when they were sacrificed, became symbols of Jesus Christ, who was going to be sacrificed for our sins. Do you know that as you examine, for example, Leviticus chapter 4, you'll discover that the fatted calf or a young bull was one of those sacrifices which were offered in the Old Testament sanctuary service. In other words, this animal is being slain as a sign that this young man is forgiven by the shedding of the blood of this young bull or this young calf. And incidentally, this comes out in verse 30. If you go there just for a minute, it says, But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, 
you killed the fatted calf for him. In other words, the death of the calf is what? For him. The death of the calf symbolizes, the shedding of the blood of the calf symbolizing, symbolizes the shedding of the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Now I want you to notice that there's tremendous emphasis here on being glad and merry. You know, sometimes it happens in the church that when somebody who has gone out into the world has gone astray, has abandoned the way of God, they come back to church, there are always some saints that are standing at the door looking and saying, I wonder how long it'll be until the next time. And yet we find that this father receives his son. And I want you to notice the emphasis on being married. Six times, starting with verse 23, the emphasis is given of being merry, being joyful, celebrating a party because of the return of this young man. Now notice what the father says, verse 23, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was what? Was dead. How was he dead? Physically? Literally? No. You know, the Apostle Paul says that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Jesus Christ died for us. So this young man was dead, and now he's alive. Theologically, this idea is called regeneration. You see, all of these ideas that Jesus has in this story are further developed in the writings of the Apostle Paul. The only thing is that Paul, Paul who is a rabbi, who is a scholar, you know, he doesn't simply tell a story he uses theological terms to explain this. But regeneration means that you were dead spiritually and now you are what? And now you are alive because you have repented, you have confessed your sins, God has justified you, He has given you a clean slate, He's removed the past, He's cast your sins into the bottom of the depths of the sea. Who can't say amen to something like that? The unconditional love of God is revealed in a marvelous way in this story. So he says in verse 24, for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Can God receive anyone who has committed any sin back into his fellowship? Yes, he can. There is no sin no matter how large in your mind, how great, that God cannot forgive. That's the message of this story. If we repent, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't matter how far you've gone out into the world, how big a mess you've made all of your life, it doesn't matter whether you've dealt drugs or whether you've been involved in drugs, in alcohol, whether you're divorced, whether you suffer of depression. None of those things really matter to God. When we return to Him, His arms are open wide, waiting for us. Sometimes I wish the story would have ended here. But there's another son in the story. Let me ask you, is Jesus condoning people who are unrighteous sinners? Is it okay to be an unrighteous sinner? No. But there's another kind of sinner in this story. And most of those sinners are in the church. Have mercy. That is a self-righteous sinner. You see, sometimes we forget the older son. 
And by the way, the older son represents the Jewish nation because they were called first. And the younger son represents the Gentiles because they were called last. And the Jewish nation looked down on the Gentiles. But the Gentiles were accepted and the Jewish nation was rejected. But we won't get into that application of this parable at this point. But now notice what it says in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. What was he doing in the field? Oh, he was working. Was this a good son? Was he a law keeper? Was he obedient? Was he willing to wait till the future for his inheritance? Yes, he was a son with the mentality of a slave. He felt he needed to work to earn his father's favor. He thought that in order to get the inheritance, he had to be good. And he had to work. And of course he was critical of everyone that didn't work like him. Verse 25 again. Now this elder son was in the field, and as he came and drove near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Uh, probably there would be a better way of translating music and dancing. The word music in the Greek language is symphonia. What word in English do we get from symphonia? Symphony. He called out the symphony. And dancing is the word choron. Those of you who know Spanish, choron. What is it? Coro. What is coro? Choir. In other words, he calls out the symphony and the choir. I mean, are they having a good time over the return of this son? Oh, yes. They're having a party at home. Verse 26. So he called one of, his, one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, notice this, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. What does this son think? Did he know that his, uh, that his brother had become a great sinner by leaving home? He had dishonored his father? Yes. Did he know that he hadn't done any of the work that was supposed to be done at home? Did he know that he had gone and lived it up with the harlots? Yes, because he says so in a few moments. So he says, now wait a minute, a party for the sinner? If anybody deserves a party, it's me. Because I'm the hard worker. And because I work a lot, the Father has to reward me. This is an individual who thinks that he can be saved by works. It's an individual who thinks that because he's good, his Father will accept him. Who's thinking that he can earn the future inheritance by what he does. There's a lot of these types of people in the church. So he says, your father has killed the fatted calf. Verse 28, but he was angry and would not go in. You know the irony of this story? This son was lost at home. In fact, his father had to go out to look for him. He's the one who was lost. Notice verse 28. But he was angry and would not go in. What is he saying? I'm not going to socialize with this sinful brother of mine. And I'm not going to condone the way my father treats this sinner. 
It says, therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, listen to this, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. Can you catch the tone of what he's saying? I have been slaving away all of these years. That's what he's saying. He's a son with a mentality of a slave. And the other son who thought that the father would receive him as a slave, restored him as a son. So he says, all these years I have been serving you. And now notice this. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. In other words, I was a perfect law keeper. Does this sound like the Apostle Paul? He says, with regard to the law, blameless. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Circumcised the eighth day. A legalist. By the way, let me ask you, do you think that this son who came back home was ever going to do again what he had done before? You think he was ever going to come up with a brilliant idea that freedom away from home was better than being home with his loving father? Of course not. When he was drawn back, the result would be that he would say, Father, thank you for receiving me back as son. Now I'll do anything you want. By the way, that is called, in theological terminology, sanctification. So he says in verse 29, So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat. Notice, you killed for him the fatted calf, and you wouldn't even give me a young goat. What he's saying is, you have done the maximum to reward a sinner, and you have done the minimum to reward, and you haven't even done the minimum to reward a righteous person like me. Verse 30, but as soon as this son of yours came, what do you think? Does he say, as soon as this brother of mine came? Yeah, right. He says, this isn't my brother. My father may have accepted him as son, but he's not my brother. Are there many people in church? When a person who has been out into the world comes back to church, you know what they've done out there? there? There are always people in the church that say, well, God might have accepted him as son, but I'm not going to accept him or her as my brother or sister. So he says, but as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Let's go to another story briefly that illustrates this same point that we have here about salvation. By the way, who is, what is the third type of sinner? It's the repentant sinner. What do I mean by repentant sinner? You know Martin Luther, that great reformer of the 16th century, he used an expression in Latin, simul justus, simul peccator at the same time righteous and at the same time sinner. So you can speak of a righteous sinner. Now wait a minute, you say, Pastor, a righteous sinner? Yes. 
Was this young man a sinner? Did his father put on him the robe of righteousness? Did he deserve it? Did he earn it? No, it was God's free grace. And so he's a sinner, but he's a justified sinner. He's a sinner that has been declared righteous and accepted as righteous before his father. And then Martin Luther added another expression. He said an individual is simul justus, at the same time just, simul peccator, which means at the same time sinner, because that person is simul penitentia, because at the same time he is penitent. So in other words, we might be able to call this son when he came home and he was received and he was regenerated, you might call him the regenerated sinner or the justified sinner or the repentant sinner. In other words, he was the one who was accepted by God. Go with me to Luke chapter 18 and let's notice a very interesting parable that illustrates this same point. Luke chapter 18 and let's start at verse 9. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Do you know one of the great characteristics of a Pharisee or a self-righteous person is they always compare their piety with the piety of others. Whenever you find someone in church who says, Oh, have you seen what brother so-and-so has been doing? Pretty nasty, huh? That's the Pharisee. You see, the truly righteous person compares himself only with God. Whereas the self-righteous person is always comparing himself with other people. Notice this story. Verse 10. Two men, just like there were two sons, right? Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. I like that. He prayed with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. So he says, hallelujah, I am righteous. This individual is a wicked sinner. But there's another person in this story. Before that, let's read what else this Pharisee said. Verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Is it wrong to give tithe? Is Jesus telling this story because he says, well, I don't want you to tithe anymore. I don't want you to fast anymore. No more fasting. Is that what Jesus is saying? No. You see, paying your tithe and fasting is okay as long as it is a result of being saved. But not in order to earn brownie points with God. And so it continues saying, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And now we have the other individual. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. Was he truly repentant? Yes. But beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful 
to me a sinner. Do you see the story of the prodigal son in this story? It's the same story, but with different actors. And now notice verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Do you know this is the only time that Jesus ever in the Gospels uses the word justified? In other words, he went to his home what? I heard the word. Forgiven. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be abased, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What a marvelous story. The story of the prodigal son. Illustrating three kinds of people in the world and even in the church. The prodigal, while he was away from home, the unrighteous sinner, who when he hit rock bottom, felt his need of God. He repented. He confessed his sin. He who had been dead is regenerated by God. Now he's alive. He's justified. He's forgiven. His father is reconciled to him, and he to his father, when they hug each other, when they embrace each other. And now he says, Father, I'll stay in your household forever, because you're my loving father. The unrighteous sinner. Second, the self-righteous sinner. The one who considers himself better than the others because of all of the works that he performs. Because he thinks he keeps God's commandments. He can earn salvation. He can earn his eternal inheritance. Sons who have a slave mentality. There are many in the Christian world today that are like that. But folks, what God wants from us, he wants us to be repentant sinners. He wants us to be sorry for our sins. He wants us to be sad for our sins, not because of the consequences of our sins, but because of the sins themselves, because sin is breaking God's law, and when you break God's law, you break a relationship with him. See, when this young man sinned by leaving home, his relationship with his father was broken. That's what breaking the law is all about. When you break the law, you break a relationship, and then that relationship has to be restored. The people have to be reconciled. So what God wants is for us to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, to recognize our sinfulness, to recognize our need of God, to come back to the Father, to come back to the home of the Father, which is the church, and to serve God, not because we have to serve him, not with the mentality of a slave, but to be willing to serve the Father so, because we love him so much because of what he has done for us. Folks, no matter what you've done in your life, no matter how terrible the things that you have done, no matter how horrendous the things that you are hiding in your heart, there is room in the arms of God for you. And also for you, self-righteous sinner. There's room for you. The story of the prodigal son leaves us in suspense about the older son. It doesn't say that the father was able to reason with him, that he accepted the father's reasons. He came into the house. It doesn't say. There's hope also for the self-righteous sinner. 
You know, there will only be one kind of person in heaven. And that is those who through the grace of God, because they've been attracted by the beauty of the love of God, commend their lives totally and completely to Jesus as Savior and Lord. What a wonderful God we have. A God that will receive us unconditionally, who loves us unconditionally, and will accept us with open arms if we just come back to him. I would like to invite you to bow your heads with me, and while every eye is closed in this place, I would like to ask, would you like to raise your hand and ask me to pray that God will give you the experience that we have spoken about tonight? If that's your desire, just raise your hand while I pray. Father in heaven, we've studied tonight this marvelous story that was told by your son, Jesus. What a marvelous story it is, all of the elements of salvation. Lord, I come before your throne tonight to pray especially for everyone who has raised their hand. Lord, if there is any unrighteous sinner in this place, I ask that you will help them to see that there is room for them in your arms. If there are any self-righteous sinners, I ask, Lord, that you will help them to see the light, that you will help them to repent of sin and to focus their eyes on Jesus and also come to Jesus, not as a slave master, but as a loving father. Lord, I ask that you will give us all the spirit of repentance. If there's anybody here who is struggling with one specific sin in their lives, maybe it's depression, maybe it's a divorce that has just taken place, maybe it's a relative that has been lost through death. I don't know what it is, but I ask that you will come close to those people and touch their hearts tonight, that they might have the assurance of your presence and your love and your blessing. We thank you, Lord, for having been with us. We thank you for answering our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.